Welcome to 120 Outdoors, where we talk about how to enjoy the outdoor opportunities we all have close to home. If you love all things outdoors, this podcast is for you to get out and get more out of it. Okay, our next guest on 120 Outdoors is Matthew Smith, and Matthew is Assistant Regional Scenic River Manager with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Matthew, welcome to the show today. Hi, how are you guys doing today? It's great to, to be on board with you guys today. Welcome, Matt. Yeah, we're glad to have you. We've been, I know you and I have been going back and forth here for a couple of months, it seems like, talking about uh, the Scenic River Program in Ohio, and we thought it would be a great podcast uh, I know Don and I have a ton of questions for you, and uh, a lot of our listeners are very um, interested in the program itself. They didn't quite understand what it was all about, so I'm, I'm glad you have time in your schedule uh, to meet with us today. Well, Don, Chris, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I'm really happy to be able to answer any questions and hopefully clear up anything that any questions that people may have. Well, we're we're great fans of most any water, uh, but we have a particular affection for rivers and the wilder the better for us so uh, we're very happy that Ohio has a vibrant uh, program for wild and and scenic rivers so I guess for starters why don't you just introduce us to the program and and tell us maybe a bit about it and how it got started well sure well the the Ohio's wild and scenic rivers program was created in 1968 and it was actually the first program of its kind in the nation um the the Ohio's wild and scenic river legislation was passed in February of 1968 and then later on that year um in October of 1968 the national program followed suit and they came out with their the national program um one of the things that kind of spurred the the creation of Ohio's Wild and Scenic Rivers program was that there were there were certain rivers throughout the state that were having a, lots of water quality issues. You had issues up on the Great Lakes um, in 1968. That was one year before the Cuyahoga River caught fire for the last time, and uh, there was there was all kinds of different issues that were going on. Were were rivers that had very poor water quality were just being highlighted and they had all kinds of issues and people around the nation were, were, were worried about those rivers that had this poor water quality. Well, there were some legislators and some folks who, who were thinking this out to themselves that, man, there are still some really, really nice river systems out there. And how can we come out with a, a way that we can promote conservation efforts on those really nice river systems to keep them that way. And so that was kind of like the spurring, you know, um, jump that kind of got people to think of, of putting together the scenic rivers program. And that's what, how our scenic rivers program was modeled was to have the state have a program where we can designate the best of the best of Ohio's waterways as state wild scenic or recreational, and then work with the local communities, the local landowners, in coming about with conservation efforts to maintain that high water quality systems. One of the, the questions I have for you here um, on this program would be how, uh, let's, let's use Pymatuning Creek, for example. That's one of the, the streams that just recently got the scenic and wild status in Ohio. Um, how did that go about? Is that like a community-based effort first? They come to you guys 
and then you guys take it from there. And what's involved in the evaluation process? Okay, so um, what happened with Pymontonine Creek, um, sometime around 2014-15, the local folks from the Kinsman area, um, it was a combination of trustees, uh, farmers, and a variety of different people who came together and they they asked the state of Ohio, they came to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, the Scenic Rivers Program, and said, we've heard about the Scenic Rivers Program. Would you explain to us a little bit what it is? And, uh, you know, because we're interested in it. And one of the things about Pine and Tinney Creek is the reason they were familiar with the Scenic Rivers Program is because Ashtabula County at the time, in 2015, they already had three rivers and streams that were designated as state wild and scenic. You know, they had Conneaut Creek that they knew of that was that's a state wild and scenic river. They had the Ashtabula River that they knew of that was designated state scenic river. And then the Grand River, which goes from Ashtabula County into the Lake County, is designated also as a state wild and scenic river. So they knew the attention that those rivers had received from their designation. So they were curious from us, what does it take? And so we just explained to them that what we do is we do a designation study and uh, um, get the local community involved in that designation study. And uh, we see if it meets the, the basic qualifications of becoming a state wild and scenic river, you know, designated. So once we do then go through and do the study, we, uh, we, you know, do community outreach throughout, through that process. And uh, once we, publish that study or get that study completed, those findings then go to the director of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. And we make a recommendation on whether or not that river system meets those those basic qualifications for, for designation. And then the director then publishes that, her intent or her, his or her intent, currently it's a, a Mary Mertz, a female, uh, and um, they publish their intent, whether or not they're going to designate it. Then they go through the public comment period and then the director can designate it. Once it's designated, one of the cool things about a scenic river designation is, is the director then appoints a 10 member advisory council for each designated river. And that that's comprises of local citizens, um, whether it's uh, farmers, landowners, uh, township trustees, uh, a variety of different people to to advise ODNR on that scenic river. So those are kind of the steps. And, you know, they, we work with, the, you know, very intensely with the local community throughout the entire process and get their input and, uh, you know, leading up to designation and then into the future, you know, throughout the, the history of its designation. Okay. We've thrown some terms around uh, the wild and scenic, scenic, recreational, could you give us a, a little a little few notes on what the differences are and, and what makes one wild and scenic versus uh, just scenic? Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. And so we do, like you said, we have three different classifications in the state of Ohio. One is a wild river designation. When we think of a, a wild river in Ohio, you know, one of the things we do try to do is we make sure we're comparing apples to apples. We look at the rivers in Ohio. We don't compare like uh, Pymatini Creek or Conneaut Creek to the Colorado River or, or a river out in Montana or Wyoming. So we kind of have to come up with our own, 
you know, thoughts and criteria for what we think would be a, a wild river system in the state of Ohio. What would be about as remote as you can get in Ohio. So that's what we're kind of thinking. So wild rivers in Ohio, we basically say they're generally inaccessible, which means there's not a lot of bridge crossings. There's not a lot of areas where the, where the public has access to the, to the stream itself because it's very remote in nature. When you get out on these rivers, you, you have that kind of wild feeling. You have that kind of remote feeling that, man, here I am in the middle of nowhere. The floodplain of wild rivers is generally, for the most part, undeveloped. The wild rivers are also free-flowing. So sections of wild rivers that are designated as wild do not have any impoundments on them. And also, about 75% of the adjacent corridor to those wild rivers are forested or wetland to a depth of at least 300 feet. So generally speaking, if you're on that wild river and you're doing like a canoe float, 75% of the river when you're, or stream when you're, when you're floating on that river, basically what you'll see is forested area or, or, or big wetlands, like in, in the case of Pimatuni Creek. Now a scenic river, so it's not as wild as a wild river. It's a, it's a kind of a representative waterway that remains, that retains much of its natural character for a majority of its length. The shorelines, you know, they're, they're for the most part, they're mostly undeveloped, but you'll see more homes, you'll see businesses, you know, some more businesses. Um, you'll have a little bit more um, public access to those streams. And one of the one of the criteria we talked about the forest and corridor, at least 25% of the stream's corridor is forested or wetland to a depth of 300 foot feet or more. Now, recreational rivers, we don't have very many of those because in um, when we say recreational, it's not the same term as like the state water trails program, where the water trails program is generally focused on recreation. Um, the Scenic Rivers program, its main focus is conservation. But we have this recreational designation because we recognize that there are some rivers that have a great deal, a great deal of public access you know you have many bridge crossings you still have you know roads that are adjacent you may have a lot more homes next to it next to that stream but it still retains much of its natural characteristics involved so recreational rivers they 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 warrant protection due to you they have unique cultural or historic attributes there's a lot more you know human influence but they still meet the water quality standards they still have great characteristics that kind of that that meet that wild and scenic river and recreational goal of, of some of the best rivers in the state of ohio okay very good now uh, one of the questions i have here uh with that is who like who monitors this is there um are you guys monitoring for example uh, Pimatuni Creek is there that that council you you mentioned the folks from kinsmen in the local area there um, are they responsible for monitoring the, the the river itself, or is that something that you guys do on a regular basis? And how does that take place after it gets the designation, um, and and it is scenic and wild, or scenic or uh, recreational river? Is there a monitoring process that takes place? Yeah, there are there are several different ways that we go about 
kind of watching over or monitoring those state designated scenic rivers. One of them is once a river is designated, we have a program called the Stream Quality Monitoring Project. And what we do is we train volunteers to sample the water quality of these state designated scenic rivers by looking at the aquatic macro invertebrates or the aquatic bugs that live in the stream. Um, so we train these volunteers. We have stations where they're, they're, they go out and they conduct three samples per year and turn those into us. And then ODNR, we write a report, you know, summarizing the data that was found on the, you know, by those volunteers that they collected. As, as you guys know, if you're fishermen, you know that there are certain bugs out there that you look for and like, yep. Uh, yep. like in the steelhead streams, like people are tying their flies to match the yeah. hatch, yep. you know? So, so the, well, those bugs, they're water quality indicators. There's certain of those bugs, certain stone flies, certain caddisflies, certain mayflies, helgramites or dobson flies that require, you know, very clean water to live in. There are some bugs and they're intolerant. They're intolerant to pollution. There are other bugs that kind of are generalist bugs. They can live in a lot of different areas. They're, they're not, they're not, as intolerant as the as like a stonefly, but they can't live in the poorest of water quality conditions. Those are kind of like the intermediate range. And then you have certain of these organisms that can live in just about anything. You like some of some of your you like your blood midges, you know, your blood mm -hmm. worms, certain things like that. Yeah. They can live in, in very poor water quality conditions. So we do is we train our volunteers to do a general monitoring of those organisms. And uh, we try to get a, uh, we want to see just about everything in those, in those scores, you know, it's a, we're looking at the biodiversity of those critters, their presence in the streams. So they turn those reports in, like I said, and then we write a report on it at the end of the year. So that's one way that we monitor the water quality. <laughs> that's the other cool. way. The other way that you do that is through that advisory council. Mm -hmm. Now, <coughs> excuse me, the, the, Advisory Council is not wa monitoring the water quality. They may, we may discuss the reports at the end of the year of what the volunteers found, but they're just basically looking at conservation efforts that they might think need to be done. Maybe there's a, a project, like for example, the Scenic Rivers Program has authority over publicly funded projects like bridge projects or roads, things like that where public funds are spent. With, uh, along that scenic river corridor. And so they'll advise us on conservation efforts that might be able to take place with those public projects to maintain that high water quality, to try to do that project in a way that least impacts the water quality. And then, so that's us working with that local community in, in, in conservation efforts and you know monitoring the status of that scenic river. And the other aspect is, again, I'm paid by the Ohio Department of Natural Resources as the scenic river manager in that area to, to kind of watch over that river system also. And most of my job entails, again, working with the public in, 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 in doing so. So those advisory panels, then, those are, those are kind of your boots on the ground nearby your, your designated waters. Yes, yes, it is. Those advisory councils, they're made up of, like, we have local farmers on it. We have uh, township trustees. We have teachers. We have 
you know, just landowners who live in the watershed. Um, we have, uh, sometimes we have county commissioners who are on those advisory councils. Sometimes uh, employees with the local county engineer's office. We, we try to have a wide variety of different people who are interested in the conservation of that, uh, that stream system. That very diverse group. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's a yes. good idea. Now, uh, do you have communication with um, other entities that that touch those? I'm thinking of like the Ohio EPA and maybe the uh, the ODOT when when they're doing work. To do, do they does that factor in when when they're working around or in uh, your designated waterways? Yes. Yeah. We work with every. You know, whether it's a state agency, um, even federal agency sometimes, because like if there's a project that requires uh, an Army Corps permit placing fill in a stream, we'll work with uh, with them. We work with uh, conservation groups. You know, sometimes if a project can't be done without doing certain things to the stream, there's mitigation that's required. You know, so um, we work with uh, conservation groups or other partners and trying to make sure that mitigation takes place in a way that you know that benefits the the stream you know to the greatest extent possible we work with the division of wildlife we just recently on you know did a, a stream day on pine Matuni creek and uh, one of our partners was the division of wildlife we try we work with them on on uh, um, educational outreach you know we have our own they have their own and we try to partner when we can on those and uh, so we have a wide variety of partners from federal agencies, state agencies, to county commissioners, to county park districts, to townships, to just your everyday landowner along the stream. We try to maintain and, and build those relationships. Well, I think that's really important, if, especially for this to be successful, you know, to get everybody to buy in, you know, feel like they're part of the team. Yes. Uh, that's, that's a great, great idea. And that leads me to my next question. As far as you mentioned the training of these volunteers, if we have some listeners out there that want to be part of this, the stream monitoring program, is there a specific training program that they have to attend? How, how does that work? So what they could do is they could contact me and uh, I could get them in touch with our person who does those trainings. And we usually hold, um, you know, workshops during the summer where we just kind of educate people generally about the Scenic Rivers program and how we monitor water quality. Then if those people go through that workshop and they'd like to, and they're interested in actually becoming a volunteer, we do uh, a greater in-depth training where we, um, we provide equipment to those people, which is, which is a, a seine or a net where they can collect the, the macroinvertebrates and we give them a turbidity tube to monitor the total suspended solids, identification guides. And then we do more in-depth training with those folks to, to make sure they know how to identify those, those, those critters. Yeah. I think that's a great program. I know you, uh, you mentioned to me that you have quite a few science teachers that have like classroom settings um, for this type of stuff too. I think that's a great opportunity for, uh, not only people like Don and I that are interested in great outdoors, but also for uh, the youth, well, you know, the young yes, kids. Kids can absolutely sure. get, yes. get in the stream and do that. Absolutely. One one of the coolest things is is when you get kids out into the stream. I mean, sometimes you have kids that have grown up fishing and they've grown up doing this kind of stuff and 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 just catching a crayfish or crawdad or or whatever is just second nature to them. But 
the cool thing is when you get these kids out there and they had no idea of all the different things that live in a stream, whether it's darters, you know, you know, like rainbow darter that has all these different colors or all these different bugs that live in the stream that are crawling all over. And you see a kid pick up a crayfish for the first time. And that just like that look on their face of holding this thing that has these pinchers that could grab hold of them. And they're like, <laughs> Whoa, you know, and <laughs> it, it is really incredible. And it's a, it's a, it is a great tool, I think, to, to get people to appreciate just the, the beautiful areas that we have in Ohio and, and uh, making sure that we keep them that way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I know we were talking before we got on air here, the three of us, and I know I mentioned how blessed we are here in uh, Northeast Ohio. And I know, um, I'm, as you know, I'm a steelheader. I spend a lot of time on the Lake Erie streams. I mean, all those streams you mentioned, I fish, and they're all part of that scenic and wild program. And now Pymatuning Creek, which isn't far from us here in Northeast Ohio, Beaver Creek in south, the southern part of the uh, southeast uh, part of Ohio here. Um, I mean, we're blessed uh, with the, the streams we have nearby, and people don't even know it, you know, right. what we have. It's, 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 a, it's a great opportunity to get out there and look around. Yes, yes, it is. So, but uh, that leads me to my next question, kind of switching channels a little bit here on you. Let's say, for example, that I'm a landowner on Pymatuning Creek. What are the benefits for me as, as a landowner to be part of this program? Is it something, and it, this is where my question comes from. Um, I, I've had a couple of people ask me about this, like, okay, let's see if I'm part of the Scenic Rivers Program, Scenic and Wild Rivers Program, and I don't know anything about it. They're asking me. And I said, well, wait a minute, I'll get the expert on the podcast <laughs> so he could answer this question. Sure. But if they're part, if they want to be part of this, is there a, is it written into the deed of the property that this would be deemed scenic and wild forever? Is that true? Okay, so no, that is not true. There, this okay. when a river is designated, it does not change at all the landowner's rights or their ownership of their private property. Private property remains private property. Their deeds do not get changed at all. Okay. So they there there is nothing that changes. Public access is not granted to their property. Okay. Um, nothing changes as far as like the of the law, their private property at all. The benefit I would say is that when a river is designated a state wild and scenic river, it allows us as the, the Ohio department of natural resource scenic rivers program staff to, to voluntarily work with landowners. So let's just say that a landowner, um, maybe they want to do a timber harvest on their property, which they are allowed to do, whether or not it's designated state river, there's nothing that restricts their ability to timber their property. But maybe this landowner has some concerns about they want to maintain, you know, maybe the the characteristic of that the the stream that's flowing through their property, and so they want to ask advice. How can we work with the the timber harvester to to do the timber harvest? to harvest those trees, but also put conservation practices in to, to keep that water quality, you know, high. And so we can work with them to give them suggestions, whether they can take them or leave them. We can't tell them whether or not to do those things, but we can give them suggestions, either the answers that we may have ourselves of recommendations, or we can work with other people to get them the information that they need. So it's basically a tool to help the 
provide information to these landowners if they want it to how to better conserve the stream system going through their property that may be designated as state wild and scenic river. Again, it does not change private property ownership at all. And it does not grant the public the ability to access their property either. So nothing changes, you know, with their, their ownership of their property. Okay. Cause that comes up all the time, as you know, Matthew. Yes. Uh, so in other words, if you're fishing on uh, Conneaut Creek, uh, yes. You cannot access private property unless you have permission to fish there. Um, you can float it if you wanted to in your canoe or kayak or whatever it is down the river as long as you don't touch the riverbed, correct? That is absolutely correct. Okay. You know, yeah, the basically, you know, the state of Ohio, well, Scenic River designation, again, it does not change public access rights at all. So, you know, when a river is day, some people will think, well, it's a wild and scenic river. I can go wherever I want. That is not true. It is absolutely not true. So like you, like you just said, if you are, have a public access point, whether it's a, a, a state park, a wildlife area, ODNR wildlife area, a county park or whatever, where you can have access to put a canoe in, you can float because the waters of Ohio are held in a trust for the citizens of Ohio. So you can float on that waterway wherever you want to. But as soon as you get out of that public lands and you go into private property, the private property owners uh, that they own the land underneath the stream. So the stream bed itself, those people own that property. They own the banks of the river. Um, so you do, you absolutely need to get permission. If you're going to be floating through and you would like to stop even and have a picnic, you have to ask to have permission from that private property owner, or you can get ticketed for trespassing. The same with fishing. So if you're, you're, you want to go like up to Conneaut Creek and you want to go wade and do some steelhead fishing, any one of the, the township parks or county metro parks, or the state properties that we have, you can fish those as much as you want to. But if you need to make sure that you're aware of where you're at, and as soon as you get on the private property, you have to have permission to wade through that section to fish. So you need to use your resources, like the county auditor's websites are great ways to uh, um, look up who owns the property along that, that section of the river. And it's, it's available online. Yep. No, that's great. I'm glad you cleared that up because that comes up every every season. It seems like. Yeah. If I was oh, yes. a landowner, I, I I would appreciate those protections too. That's oh, like, absolutely. What's mine still mine. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you know, I mean, most of the landowners, you know, if if people are respectful and they ask for permission, I in my experience, many landowners are 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 happy to allow people who are respectful and. Uh, don't trash places up. No, you're, and, you're absolutely uh, right, Matthew. Ask permission. And yeah, they're, yeah. They're happy to share that. That's but right. The problem is you have people who leave trash, um, even fishermen. They'll leave their, uh, um, you know, their fishing line out on the shore. They'll leave bait containers. You know, they're not the only ones. I've caught, Of course, there's just people who throw their trash out on the bridges and stuff, you know, whatever. Yeah. But Don't we know? Sometimes, uh, yeah. you know, we our own worst enemy is <laughs> recreational users, whether we're hunting, fishing, you know, or paddling or whatever so you, you get the bad players yeah. ruin it 
Chris has elaborated on uh, the rivers, uh, the scenic and wild and scenic rivers we have close to home here. We're extraordinarily happy that, that those are within our 120. And when you look at the map, we can see that, you know, these things rare uh, among the rivers, uh, river miles that we have in Ohio. Uh, could you tell us if there are, uh, are any more opportunities or much more uh, just the nature of, of what we might, uh, is there any more we can add, um, or is that an active process that goes on? So as far as, if we, if, if, as far as looking at other rivers or to be included in the scenic rivers program, that is something that the scenic rivers program is always up to, up to looking at. Um, there are other streams in the state of Ohio that we believe would definitely meet the criteria so it's something that we're always open to but what we want to make sure that we do is we work with the local folks and 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 make sure we have a partnership to to be able to pursue and and look into those designations yeah the locals gotta want it then yeah for, for the most part yes yes we try to make sure we have uh, local support for those designations Yes. One of the questions I forgot to ask you earlier, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit on this. So let's say, for example, let's use Pimatuning Creek again as the example. Part of that is just scenic, and most of it is scenic and wild. Is there an opportunity for that area of that Pimatuning Creek or whatever river or creek we're talking about? Is it possible that it could be reevaluated and fall into the wild and scenic category? So... Much of Pimatuni Creek, almost the entire section is designated into the Scenic Rivers Program. Mm -hmm. But I think it's about, about 33 miles of it. Mm -hmm. The very upward portions are very small headwater areas that uh, we just didn't include in that. The the very very headwaters of the of the stream system. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as the wild versus scenic designation, um, the reason that the lower portion was designated as scenic near Orangeville is because right on the Ohio-Pennsylvania line, there is a low head dam there that impounds water back for a little over two miles. Mm -hmm. And uh, so because of Wild River, you know, we wanted it to be free-flowing. You know, so that's why we stopped the Wild River designation where we did because it's, it was approximately, if we calculated what the pool was behind that low head dam. Okay. And that's where we stopped it. Okay. And that's why we designated that, that lower section as scenic because, you know, right, you know, you know, it, it, it has an impoundment. Right. So unless right. that impoundment status changed, which I don't, I don't, I don't foresee that changing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the local people love that, that uh, impoundment. They fish both sides of it, the PA side and the Ohio mm -hmm. side. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, uh, so anyways, we, you know, that would have to change for it to be. Okay. So there, there is. And, a, and it's not something we're pursuing right now. Right. So, but if it would change, that's something that's possible. It could be both scenic and wild. If that. I guess, well, it already is both scenic and wild. Okay. Through hmm. that section. So I guess what you're saying is, could the scenic river cha section change to wild yes. section? Yes. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Okay. I, I guess that could be looked at. I just don't foresee. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't foresee that low head dam being removed. Yeah, so. I'm just curious because it's it's uh, such a great designation. Yeah, if if that dam you know, came out though, that would change. That would change it. Yeah, yeah. And generally speaking, you know, we we do try to work to uh, to improve water quality by removing these dams that are on stream systems. Um, but there are some areas where we do 
do try to maintain those structures because of invasive species, <clears throat> you know, like oh, in the I Ohio probably... River Basin, oh. you know, you have the, the Asian carps that are moving up the big head and um, this, I think it's silver carp. I'm mm-hmm. not real super familiar with them, but, you know, they're moving upstream. And so there is concern about those those species getting in like into the Lake Erie trip. So we do like that's one reason, like on Pymatuni Creek, we, Creek, we probably wouldn't be super advantageous in trying to get that low head dam removed because no. it is one extra protection of keeping that invasive yeah. species moving yeah. up into the Lake Erie watershed. The same way with on the Grand River. Yep. I, the Harper's, Harpers Field, Field. Yep. you know, sea lamprey barrier that was just reconstructed. You know, generally speaking, as a scenic rivers program, we try to remove low head dams or old dams that are not functioning anymore to improve the water quality. And Harper's Field was one of those situations where the upper portions of the Grand River right now are not accessible to sea lamprey. And so if we would have, op- if that, that the old dam would have been demolished and removed and the sea lamprey could have moved upstream. So that's one area where we weren't necessarily happy about it or, or just like jumping up and down about putting, uh, replacing that barrier. But we did work with us fish and wildlife to, to reconstruct and, you know, rehab that, uh, yeah, that see, see, that makes total sense. I never thought of that. I don't want those silver carp, by the way, anywhere near us. <laughs> so mm-hmm, keep mm-hmm. them in the Ohio River or wherever they're at. Those things are a mess. That's super yes. interesting, yeah. too. Yeah, that is. You know, locally here, <clears throat> talking about a river that's not wild or scenic, we, we live near the Mahoning River. Yes. And there's been a big effort to knock down some of the low-head dams that are no longer needed or, or useful. Mm-hmm. For just the reasons you said to improve the water quality, but right. uh, I never thought about keeping one up for as a, a block. Usually, you want the free uh, transportation of uh, fish up and down the stream. But I, I, right, I, right. I totally get the land oh, yeah, raise. Yeah, the way you explain it. So one, yeah. one thing different about the Mahoning River from Pymatuni Creek is that uh, um, I don't believe. Now, I, I may be incorrect. I don't know the Mahoning River super well. I know it well enough because, you know, my office used to be at Newton Falls. And uh, um, I've paddled the Mahoning River several times with groups to, you know, to promote, like, uh, some of the efforts that are going on, on in, in the Mahoning River. But I don't think the Mahoning River has a connection. It doesn't have any any connection to Lake Erie. Correct. Yeah. And, and opposed to that... Up, above, up in Ashtabula County, at the source of Pymatuni Creek, there's a big wetland complex. And that wetland is actually the, the divide between Mill Creek, which goes into the Grand River, which goes into Lake Erie, and the Ohio River Basin, where it flows south into the Ohio, you know, through Pymatuni Creek into the Shenango River, down into the Ohio, eventually to the Ohio River. So there is a, a nexus in Pymatuni Creek that you would have to worry about. Is there a possibility that, it, that those carp could get up oh, into yeah. the Lake Erie Basin Boy, through there? I, I didn't as opposed to that. that. Yeah. As opposed to that, I don't believe from my experience or, or limited knowledge that the Mahoning river has that nexus to the Lake Erie Basin. So I, so, so that's why there isn't as much concern about removing those barriers in the Mahoning river as there, are, as there would be, that one on on Pymatune Creek on the Ohio 
PA border. But mm-hmm. what that's really interesting. You know, I actually heard of that too. Uh, somewhere up near Route Six, there's that nexus where part of the water goes north and part of to, toward Lake Erie, and the other part goes south into the Ohio River basin. Uh, that's very interesting. I could see where that'd be a major concern. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I can understand that. Totally. Yeah, it's our own great divide there, sure. cutting, cutting across the top of Ohio. Sure. Okay. Hey, uh, full disclosure here, Matt. I'm a consumer. I I wear the Scenic Rivers license plate on my my vehicle. <laughs> on all your yes. vehicles, actually. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, anyway, I I know uh, running a program takes money, and and uh, tell us about how how that works uh, and and how you do your business. Sure. Well, first, thank you for supporting us by purchasing a Scenic Rivers license plate. <laughs> Both my wife and I, I figure since I'm going to be promoting Scenic Rivers license plates, I better personally also have Scenic Rivers license <laughs> plates. So, so my wife and I also each have a scenic, one of the two Scenic Rivers license plates. Um, so there are, there generally speaking, there are three basic ways that the Scenic Rivers program is funded. The primary way is through the Waterway Safety Fund. So whenever people purchase uh, canoes, or kayaks and they register those canoes, a portion of all those registrations comes to the Scenic Rivers program because we're doing some of the conservation efforts or, you know, on some of the the nicest streams that people who like to paddle, you know, want to maintain those characteristics. So that is the primary way of of, of how our program is funded is through canoe and kayak registrations. So another way that we're funded is through general revenue funds. There's a small portion of just the general revenue taxes that come into the state of Ohio that is put into the Division of Natural Areas and Preserves that that also helps fund some of our staffing and equipment, things like that. And then the other way, as you mentioned, that we are funded is through sales of our Scenic Rivers license plates. We have two different license plates. One of them is a brook trout. And one of them is a great, great blue heron. And the funds from the sales of those license plates also goes into our program. It's used to purchase, uh, like, the equipment that we give to the volunteers who monitor the water quality, you know, or maybe maintenance equipment that we need to maintain areas or or give assistance to people in the Scenic River areas. So those are the three main ways that we are funded to, to do our job. Okay, very good. Yeah, very good. I, I'd love to, to keep you on here another hour. Believe me, Matthew, um, I got we have all kinds of questions. I, you de- definitely gave us a good background of what the Scenic and Wild River program is all about here in Ohio. And uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we have it. Seriously, and I would thank you personally for the work that you and your team are doing out there. Um, I, 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 as you know, I'm, I mentioned it several times, I enjoy those rivers every fall and spring. Uh, yes. Everything you do. So thank you for that and you and your team. As far as, as the average Ohioan, how could they, I mean, you mentioned one way they could help contribute to this, even if they're not an, an avid sportsman, they could buy the Scenic River license plate. Is there another way that they can contribute to to the program? Is there um, to paying their taxes or buying a fishing or hunting license or something like that? Is there another way? Yeah, they, and actually, I forgot about the another resource. Uh, um, since we, our, the Scenic Rivers program has floated between divisions over the past uh, ten years, 
and we're back into the Division of Natural Reserves and Preserves. So there's the tax checkoff program that people can, when they file their taxes, obviously we're past that point this year, but next year people can consider the tax checkoff program. We have purchased um, properties like down on Little Beaver Creek. There was a church camp that sold us 29 acres along Little Beaver Creek for access to Little Beaver Creek. And uh, so we used the tax checkoff funds to purchase that property. Um, so people can, if they, if you're talking about donating money, they can, they can donate money that way. But if you're just, if people are just generally interested in volunteering to, to assist us, whether it's through stream quality monitoring, whether it's maybe helping pick trash up and, and clean these rivers up, or maybe it's work days that we might have on one of our scenic rivers or educational wise, you know, they can feel free to contact me or someone in their local region. Um, you know, if they're in a different part of the state to, to find out ways that they can volunteer to help out. Excellent. Oh, that's great. That That's great, Matthew. And thank you again. Uh, we're going to let you go here. Um, you've given us the, the time you had allotted for this morning. We really do appreciate it. Uh, very interesting. Seriously, we could have spent another couple hours talking to you uh, about this Well, program. I'm, I'm so glad to be able to come on board. It's really nice getting to, to talk with you, you folks today and, uh, I'd be happy to come back on. Well, we're big fans. Keep doing what you do. That's for sure. That's for sure. Thank you again, Matthew, and you have a great day, buddy. Thank you so much also, and you guys have a wonderful day also. All right. Thanks, Matthew. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, that was some good stuff that uh, Matthew had for us today. Yeah. I uh, enjoyed Very, hearing about that. Oh, absolutely. That was a great interview. Uh, we really appreciate Matthew's time. Uh, it was great to get to meet him, too. We actually met him at that uh Day at the Pima, at Pimatuning Creek there a few weeks ago. Right, he mentioned the event. He didn't yeah. mention that we were we were, we there. were there. We were actually there, so it was uh, good for us to uh, not only meet Matthew but also understand or get a better understanding of what they do. Yeah, that so. uh, that's a that's a very important service for the state. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I I hope people understand just how rare and special those places are. You know, I did. As I always do, I do did a bunch of Googling to to understand a little bit more. And I looked up how many rivers we have, uh, not just in Ohio, but in the nation. And Ohio kind of mirrors the nation where the scenic rivers only make up about less than one half of a percent of the rivers that exist. So wow. those are special and rare places. Wow. So that's for not only for the, the United States, that's for the state of Ohio also. Right. About the same. It's about yeah. a half percent. Yeah. Wow. Some states have it better than we do. Yeah. And some have it, some have none. Right. Uh, so yeah. uh, as you mentioned in the in the interview, we, we have it pretty good. We have some that we can reach from us here. Oh, yeah. There's three or four right here for us. Right. And uh, just about every one of them, as I mentioned, uh, that I still had fish are either scenic and wild or... Um, just scenic, you know, so every one of them that I'm touching east of Cleveland um, are had that status. So that's pretty cool. And, uh, and, and I thought Matthew was uh, the point he made that when you're on that, you should feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I've had that feeling because I've been on those waters and he's right. That's, that's oh, a it's valuable, cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Very valuable cool. thing. No, th- thanks again to, to Matthew and uh, his time there. So let's let's jump into uh, what's your rant this uh, month, Don? I don't know if this is a rant, Chris, but <laughs> I'll, I'll call this more uh, some helpful helpful hints. Um, one of the things Matthew talked about 
that makes the scenic rivers what they are is the quality of the water. It's not just uh, that there's trees and no houses. Uh, they have good water quality. They have good ecosystems. And, you know, we're all about doing things close to home. And the quality of the waters we have starts very close to home, as in right off of the doorstep. Now, this is fall since we're talking, so um, I'd like to talk a little bit about lawn care. You know, I happen to have a lawn. In a perfect world, you know, my when I leave my front door, I'd wade through some native plants, which I admire, and we try to propagate all we can. But I'm in a place where kind of got to have a lawn, and <laughs> you know, yeah, I know, I know they would get uh, the subdivision that um, I live in has rules, <laughs> so yeah, we have to have a lawn. So yeah, so lawns are a thing, right? I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say lawns are evil, although as an ecosystem, they're really not very useful. Uh, however, you know, if you're going to have a lawn, you kind of like it to look nice, and I'm no exception to that. And one of the things that you'll hear these days in the fall is, hey, if you want a great lawn next year, get after it now. So... Big Lawn would have you uh, go and buy a bag of fertilizer to get on now. And and then as soon as spring hits and the snow melts, they're going to say, you need to buy it every month next year. So, um, you know, obviously they're not one of our supporters. So, uh, right, right. Uh, you know, I, I tend to take a different view on how much of that stuff needs to go down. But... And winding the clock back to one of our earlier podcasts, the whole lawn thing got me to thinking. We spoke earlier on Ohio's H2 Ohio program, which is all about improving the water quality in Ohio, particularly Lake Erie right now, but in Ohio in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, Clark Hudson uh, indicated to us yep. that uh, in the western part of the state, they're not applying uh, fertilizer or working with uh, farmers to not apply fertilizer that's not needed. By uh, doing some testing, uh, they can see if fertilizer is needed, where it's needed, and whatnot. So the first point I'd like to make about lawns is don't buy into big lawns uh, suggestion that you need it four times a year or five times a year. might want to think about testing your lawn to see if it needs it at all. And then that will minimize the nutrient that is ultimately gonna gonna flow into a waterway. Yeah, that's a good idea. I never thought of that. You know, we appreciate the scenic waters, but right. there aren't any insignificant waterways. We want them all to be good. Right. And if you have your feet on the ground, if you have a lawn like like you do and I do, uh, you're a contributor to the water yeah. quality that we get. Yep. So that's one thing we can do. Another thing we can do, and this is another thing that, uh, a point that Clark made. Now, this is farming again, but I think it applies to a lawn. Uh, one of the things they're doing to minimize that nutrient runoff is applying uh, manure, in, in the case of the farms, under the surface. So it doesn't just uh, run off. Run yeah. off, yeah. So obviously we can't do that in a lawn. But one of the things you can do that isn't chemicals is you can get your lawn aerated. I know mine, I have an old lawn. It's, it tends to get like a brick from time to time. And so 
if anything went on it, it's going to wash off. But with uh, some aeration, you know, the soil can be looser and things will find their way in and put the brakes on uh, that stuff going in. Yeah, that's a great point. Never thought of that. Another one, a lot of lawns don't really have a uh, fertilizer or nutrient deficiency, but they might have a pH uh, imbalance or nutrient deficiency in the form of minerals. And lime, uh, crushed limestone is relatively cheap and, you know, you can put it on and uh, that might heal some of your lawn ills without getting into the the nitrogen-based fertilizers. And you can do it for less money, too. Yeah. And it doesn't just, it's not a soluble thing. It's a mineral that'll, it's so a it's, slow release. Right, it's not a fertilizer. Right. It's yeah. not It's not just washing yeah. into, the, into the stream and away she goes. Yeah, that was the big issue we had at the farm. Remember when we did the soil test there? Yeah, it was it depleted. Was, it was yeah. depleted. So they said just dump, uh, not literally a ton, but several hundred pounds per acre of lime. Yeah. To neutralize the soil. So that's uh, what we've been doing every spring. Yep. Where we can. So so, so anyway, uh, all I'd ask is that you think about it. You can think about it now and you can think about it next year on uh, those things uh, that you can do for your lawn that aren't just going to wash into the stream and the rivers. And one other thing, um, this is another thing that we've tried to do at your farm, and that's get some pollinators up there. Yeah. Um, and we've had some success at that. Well, uh, some of the success in lawns is hampered by the fact that, back to big lawn again, they would have you think that clover is the absolute devil. Uh, <laughs> now, anytime I've seen bees, they tend to like clover. And the last time I checked, bees were having some troubles. They yeah, they could use that. Yep. They could use a hand up. Yep. Part of that hand up would be letting them have a little clover. It's not a bad thing for your lawn because it puts a little nitrogen in there and the bees like it. So uh, the other part that I'd like to say is don't kill every last stand of clover. It's not a bad thing, despite no. what some might tell you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I like a nice lawn too, but I, I'd like to, you know, tread lightly and those are a few things to let you tread lightly too. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way, Don. That's a great point. So, yeah, I, I would say that's still a rant. That would qualify as a rant. Okay. Well, but I, I think it's a very good one, and it's uh, definitely applies to the topic we just discussed: the scenic rivers and uh, wild and rivers program. Well, you know, as as I see it, there are no actions that don't uh, that aren't important. You know, right? Uh, a beer can laying along the road is blocking uh, a plant from growing. And, uh, you know, every square foot of that lawn is part of a watershed. And our watersheds make our waters, and the dots are connected, and uh, we're part of that, and we can do better. Yep, I agree. I agree. That's all I got. Well, very good. Very good, Don. Okay, folks, that's all we had for this month. We hope you enjoyed the show, and get out in your 120 and do something.